Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Where are you experiencing the greatest stress in your life? Where are you experiencing the greatest pressure in your life? Perhaps it it is at school. Maybe you've got some finals coming up. Maybe you have a class that you're not doing so well in, and you are under stress and pressure about that. Maybe it's at work where you're experiencing your greatest stress, the greatest pressures in your life. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's in your relationship with your spouse, or perhaps even your relationship with your children where you're experiencing the greatest pressure, and stress, or maybe it's in your finances, but where are you this morning experiencing the greatest stress and pressure or adversity and hardship in your life? Well, the promise that we're going to look at today is tailor-made just for those kind of situations in your life. So as we go through this message, I want you to continue to remember that thing that's bringing you the most stress in your life today and apply this promise to that situation. Our text is found over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 10. Stand in respect for the Word of God as I read Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this employed the Lord three times, that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You may be seated. And may God bless the reading and hearing and most of all the obeying and applying of His Word. The main truth that we are going to see today is this. If we look to God in faith, He will give us the divine assistance that we need to live in our circumstance in a way that will glorify Him. If you'll look to God in faith, He will give you the divine assistance you need in that situation you thought about just a moment ago to live through it in such a way that you honor and glorify Him him 
in that situation. And is that not our ultimate goal in life? To honor and glorify Him. Now first, let's look at the context of this promise. And the context is adversity. That's why I told you to think about where you were experiencing adversity today. Paul says in verse 7, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Paul called his adversity a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. And he said it tormented him. Now, no one knows for sure what this thorn in the flesh was. There have been many who have made guesses at it. Some think it was Paul's poor eyesight. Others think that he had feigning spells. Perhaps he even had epilepsy. Uh, but nobody knows for sure what this thorn in the flesh was. But what we do know is it was chronic. That's why he called it a thorn in the flesh. You ever had a thorn in your flesh? A splinter? That thing keeps on bothering you until you do something about it, right? All right? So it tormented him. Now that word torment literally means to hit with the fist. In fact, it's used over in Matthew when they speak of the soldiers hitting Jesus in the face with their fist while he was being prepared to be crucified. And you know, we use that idiom today when we say, man, this situation is just beating me up. This situation is just killing me. This situation is just wearing me out. Well, that's what Paul was saying. Man, this thorn in the flesh is beating me up, and I'm just getting beaten all over the place. It's killing me. It's tormenting me. But I want you to notice that it is God who gives us adversity in our lives. Paul says that it was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And that word given carries the idea of giving someone a gift. Same word used in John 3.16, for God so loved the world he gave. Same word, his only begotten son. Now, I don't think Paul, at the time he had this thorn in his flesh, at the time he asked God to take it away from him, he did not realize that it was a gift from God. But now, as he's writing about that, some years later, he has come to understand now that that thorn in the flesh was a gift from God. All adversity comes from God. He didn't say, I was afflicted with a thorn in the flesh. He didn't say, I was pegged with a thorn in the flesh. But I was given as a gift this thorn in the flesh. And so we need to understand that God is the one who ultimately gives adversity in our lives. That pressure that you're experiencing, that stress that you're going through right now, it ultimately came to you through the loving hands of your God. Nothing can come into your life that does not come through His loving hands. You remember Job? Satan was a messenger, but God regulated what Satan could do. Satan and his demons, the world and its evils, can do nothing to you that is not 
ordained by a loving God. Isaiah, God speaks of this in Isaiah 45. Look at what he says. That there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness. Causing well-being. Now look at this. And creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. So I hope your God is not so small that He cannot bring adversity and hardships into your life. If He is, you do not have the God of Scripture. Because the Scripture is very clear. Our God is the one who is ultimately in control. Now Paul could see this as a gift. But how could he? How could he now look at that thing that was so bad, so awful, he pleaded and begged with God three times to take it away. How can he see it as a gift? He could see it as a gift because he understood God's purpose for that stress and adversity in his life. You see, that makes all the difference in the world when we can see the purpose. You see, purpose changes and makes a difference between an abusive parent and a loving parent parent. If you knew a parent who, in, who purposely took needles and stuck their child with a needle for the purpose of punishing them, causing that child to cry, you would say that is an abusive parent. But you can take that same parent you can take that same child, you can take that same needle, and, it, and I can say to you, that parent is sticking that child with a needle every day, causing that child to cry because that child is a diabetic and needs that insulin. Now that parent is no longer an abuser, but now he's a loving parent. All because of the purpose. So we need to see God's purpose in the affliction. And then we can see His heart. In our affliction. Now we don't have any problem seeing God's hand in our affliction. We know He's in control. But to see His heart may a little more be a little more difficult. And that comes from understanding God's purpose. And Paul saw God's purpose, and so he saw his stress, his adversity as a gift. Paul says that God gave him this adversity to humble him. Verse 7. Now notice, twice in this one verse. Paul uses the term to keep me from exalting myself. You see, Paul had seen things that no other person had seen. He had gone into heaven and said he had heard things that cannot be expressed in words. That's why I do not believe a three-year-old child can go to heaven and come back and tell me anything about it. Paul, the greatest theologian the world has ever known, said he saw things he couldn't even put in the words. And I'll tell you something else. When I get to heaven, I only want to see one thing, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Oh, don't show me anybody else, nothing else. I want to see Jesus. And so anybody comes back from heaven and says to me, they saw anything but Jesus, I don't believe it. Because he's the reason we're going. He's the reason we want to be there. And so Paul said it was to humble him. Paul had this tremendous conversion story he could tell, right? 
How many of us can say that God broke the heavens open and, and spoke to us in a, in a mighty visible manifestation of a shining light? How many of us can say that? How many of us can say the Lord Jesus appeared to us and instructed us for a period of three years on theological truth? None of us. Paul had every reason to be spiritually proud, and he knew it. And he also knew that God allowed Satan to torment him with this adversity, with this hardship, so that he would be humbled, that he would not become spiritually proud. You see, pride is such a destructive force in the Christian life. And it is so destructive that God lovingly brings stress and adversity and hardships in our life to humble us. You see, pride is confidence in self rather than confidence in God. Pride is confidence in your strength, in your wisdom, in your abilities. Humility is confidence in God's strength and God's wisdom and God's abilities. And so when we are proud, we look to ourselves and think we can do it. Pride was the sin of Satan when he rebelled in heaven because he wanted to be like God. He was not satisfied to be the greatest of the created angels. He wanted to be like God. Pride was at the root of Eve's sin when she thought if she could take this forbidden fruit that she would be like God and she wanted that. Pride is at the very root of sin. All of our sin can be traced ultimately back to pride. We wanting our way, not God's way. We seeking to do things our way, not God's way. This spiritual pride is such an a ever-present danger in our lives that God warned the nation of Israel against it in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And look at what God told them. He said, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied, have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then what? Then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground adversities, where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness, he fed you with manna, which your fathers did not know. For what purpose? That he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. God brought these adversities, he brought these stresses into the lives of the Israelites to humble them so that they would not become proud and think they could do it, realize only he could do it and it would benefit them, it would be good for them. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He 
who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Aren't we just like Israel? When everything's going good, I mean, when we get that raise, when all the bills are paid and everybody's healthy, man, we think, hey, I'm, I'm good. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I'm in good shape. I can handle it. We get the same way. But let adversity, let hardship, let difficulties, let stress come in our life. And what does it do? It humbles us. It causes us to look up. When God puts us in that situation where we cannot, I mean, we've done everything we know to do, and it just isn't working, and we finally turn to God. And God's been saying all along, that's what I've been waiting on. Come to me. Seek me first. Not last. Paul speaks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at what he says. But we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively. I call that a stress, don't you? Beyond our strength. Why? So that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. For what purpose? So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul says, in my life, God brought us to the point of total exhaustion beyond our strength. We were totally undone. If God didn't come through, we would be ruined. And what did we do? He did that so we wouldn't trust in ourselves, but trust in Him. Uh, you think about that adversity, that hardship, that stress that you're going through right now in your life that we talked about earlier. Are you willing to accept that as coming from the hands of your loving God for the purpose of humbling you to show you you need to depend on Him? You need to trust in Him to break any spiritual pride that you may have in your life. That is the context of the promise, adversity. Now let's look at the content of the promise. Verse 9. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. God's promise is His all-sufficient grace. God does not leave us in our adversity to fend for ourselves. But He makes this glorious promise to us in our adversity. He promises that His grace will be absolutely sufficient to see us through. Now here we need to have a clear understanding of what Paul means by grace. There are two understandings of grace that you and I need to have in our thoughts right now. First, it's the grace that we all think about. God's unmerited favor or God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, our salvation. We were saved through grace. Saved by grace through faith. God gives us what we do not deserve. That's grace. But there's a second definition of grace in Scripture. And that is God's enabling power through the Holy Spirit. That's called grace. We see this in Philippians when Paul says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How can you do that? 
for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That God working in you is God's grace to you. That divine assistance that God gives you through the Holy Spirit is his grace. Paul talks about, except by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace did not prove vain to me, for I worked harder than anyone else, but yet not I, but the grace of God in me. He's using it in that term of God's enablement. So what's the promise that God's given us in our adversity? His promise is divine enablement, divine empowerment in our adversity. What does it mean that he says his grace is sufficient in our hardship? God is promising to work in us by his Holy Spirit to enable us to live in that adversity in a way that will glorify and honor him. Now listen to that. When God says my grace is sufficient in your adversity, He's not promising to take away the adversity. He is promising that He will give us the divine assistance, the divine empowerment we need in that adversity to live in a way that honors and glorifies Him. And that's what we all desire anyway, to honor and glorify Him. Now I've had situations in my life where the adversity was so Great, I didn't know how to live in it in a way that would glorify God. And I'm just saying, God, I, I, I don't know how to live in this situation in a way that would glorify you. I mean, I am so under stress. I am so pressed. I can't even see how to do it. But I've asked him, and he has been true to his promise, and he has given me the wisdom and insight and enabling power I needed to live in that situation in a way that would glorify him and would honor him and that is the promise I think Job had some understanding of this truth look in Job 23 he says behold I go forward but he is not there and backward but I cannot perceive him Job said man I'm in all this stress and all this pressure, and God, I can't see you anywhere in this stuff. Man, I'm just so undone. And sometimes you get under such stress, you cannot. I mean, you just can't see God anywhere. It's so heavy on you. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right, I cannot see him. I can't see you in all this, God. I, I know you've got to be there, but I can't see it. But he knows the way I take. And look at this. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job said, God, I can't see you in it. It is so heavy. It is such stress. But I know you're there, and I know that you are trying me. You are refining me. And when this thing is over, your grace is going to be sufficient, and you're going to bring me through as gold. Because your all-sufficient grace is there with me. So God promises you that in your adversity, think about that adversity you're going through right now, that stress, that pressure. If you'll look to Him in faith, He's promised that He will give you the divine assistance through His Holy Spirit 
that you need to live in that situation, through that situation, in a way that glorifies and honors Him. The second aspect of the content of this promise, not only sufficient grace, but power is perfected in our weakness. His power replaces our weakness. Again, in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. God's plan is to humble you so that He can empty you of yourself that He might fill you with Himself. You see, we have to be emptied of ourself before God will fill us with His, Himself, His power. You see, as long as we think we have any strength, we're not going to call on and be able to tap into God's strength. It's in our weakness that His power is made strong. Through that adversity, He reduces us to human weakness so that He can infuse His power in us. So when you realize your weakness, then what do you do? You look to Him for the power. I was talking to a man today who's taking on responsibility at church, and he says, I feel overwhelmed. I said, praise God. Because when you're overwhelmed, you'll look to Him to be what you need. You've heard me say it. I, I hate it when somebody comes up to me and says, Preacher, I got this under control. Don't worry about it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We in trouble. You got it under control. Now, God's got it under control. I can go with that. So, hey, overwhelmed's good. Because it means you're dependent on God. It means you're looking to God. It means you realize you need God. As long as we're full of pride, God's power will not fill us. He must break us. Empty us of our pride that He can fill us with His power. Peter knows this. He says, For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, this is a man who said, Though though all other disciples forsake you, I won't forsake you. He says, If it need be, I'll even go and die with you. Now, that was pride. That man wrote, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Remember grace? What's that? God's enabling power. God resists the proud, but He gives His enabling power to the weak, to the humble. Now, I've seen the situation in my life where God brought this so clear to me. First mission trip I ever took was to Chile. In South America. And about 12 of us pastors went. And we were positioned in, in towns all over central and south Chile. Now all the pastors except me had missionaries as their translators. I had a Chilean pastor as my translator. I was situated in a town called Valdivia. Now, there were three or four other preachers in that town. They all stayed at this parsonage or uh, pastorium at First Baptist of that town in Chile. So they were all there. Their missionary translators were there. They had hot water, but not me. 
I stayed in the home of one of the members of this church that I was preaching in, which was in the slums, literally. There were chickens running around in our bedroom. The, the, the Chilean pastor and I was staying there. There was no hot water unless it was heated over a stove. Now, it's kind of hard to take a shower, a warm shower, when there's no hot water except what's boiled over the stove. I woke up one morning, and there were these little red dots all over my sleeping wear. I don't wear pajamas. I used to wear gym shorts and a T-shirt. And I, what's this? And the chilling pastor said, oh, those are fleas. Those are flea bites. <laughs> they were, I mean, the family was loving. They were kind. They were doing the best they could do. No doubt about it. Here, all these other pastors were fellowshipping with the missionaries over there in this pastorium of First Baptist, warm, hot shower, laughing it up, just having a great time. Here I am stuck with, a, with nobody that speaks a native language like I do in their home. Now, if you've never been in a foreign country, you can't appreciate this. But if you have, you know what it feels like and how alone you can feel if you're the only American anywhere that you could see. You know, it's just not the same. I mean, I, we would eat and it'd be these about 15 flies that would just fly around above the table. I don't, they never came down, but they would just circle the table. Weirdest thing I ever saw. So I went through this for a week saying, Lord, what's going on? Why me? So finally, we finished. We all went back to Santiago and we had a briefing where everybody talked about what happened and how God worked in the various revivals. Well, as we were sitting there and sharing how many people had come to know Christ through our meetings, when it came time for me and I got up and began to share, what I realized is that God had given us the second highest number of conversions of any other church. The only one that was hired was a guy who was a native speaking, uh, spoke Spanish himself, and he didn't even need a translator. And God said to me, that's why you were in that situation. I needed to humble you. I needed to empty you so I could pour my grace in you. And you could see this many people saved. And I just said, God, forgive me. Forgive me for my complaining. Forgive me. Thank you for giving me this kind of situation, giving me those adversities and hardships. Because in my weakness, indeed, your power was perfected. So God humbles us that he might empower us. Now that brings us to the conclusion of the promise. The context of the promise is adversity. God brings adversity as a gift into our lives. God brings adversity to humble us, to empty us. The content of the promise is God's all-sufficient grace. 
He will give us the divine assistance we need to glorify Him in that situation. And He promises in our weakness His power will be perfected. Well, what's the conclusion of the promise? How should we respond then knowing this? First, we should rejoice in our weaknesses. Look in verse 9. Most gladly, therefore... I would rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Boast about my weaknesses. Most gladly. He said, I'll take pride in my weaknesses because in my weakness, God's power is perfected. We run from weaknesses, particularly us men. We do not want to be seen as weak We will do everything we can to stay out of situations that we think we might fail in and therefore we might appear to be weak. We spend a lot of our energy trying not to get in those kind of situations. We just won't try if we think we can't do it because we don't want to fail. Paul said, "Uh uh-uh. When you recognize that it's in your weakness that God's power is perfected, then you need to see weakness in a whole different way. You need to embrace that weakness, not run from it, not try to keep from experiencing it. You need to embrace it because it's in that weakness that God's power is going to be perfected in your life. Therefore, you can most gladly boast about your weakness. Man, I am nothing because in my nothingness, God can be everything. Now take that adversity, that weakness, that stress, that pressure you're going through right now. Can you embrace that? Embrace it and say, God, thank you for this sense of insecurity and this sense of weakness that I'm feeling right now because that is causing me to look to you and in that weakness you are going to perfect your power in me. Can you do that? Most gladly, can you do it? And secondly, Paul says, He was well content in his adversity. Verse 10, therefore, I am well content. Now that word well content literally means to think well of. It means to think good of something. It means to understand the benefit of. And you so understand it that you are at peace with it. Hence the sense of contentment. Paul says... I now see my adversities, my afflictions, in the light of realizing that God is using them to humble me and give me the grace to glorify Him and to give His power in my weakness. And so now I think so well of them, I'm at peace in them. I am at peace in my weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties. Why? For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So our response is to rejoice in those weaknesses, embrace them. Run toward those situations you feel insecure because it is in those you'll find the power of God. And be well content. Thank God you're using this. Now I'm not, you could even have caused it by your own sinful actions. And many times we do. 
But that doesn't negate God from giving you the grace you need to live in that situation in a way that glorifies Him, folks. You can't not negate the grace of God by your foolish, sinful actions. All right, how do we do this? Let's get down to some very specifics. Brass tacks. All right, how do you do it? Several things you need to realize. First, realize you will always have stress in your life. That is just life. Stress is a way of life. Don't think you're going to go through life with no problems and no troubles because you're going to be sadly mistaken. Stress is important in the Christian's life. So realize first you're going to have it. Secondly, realize that God's purpose in that stress is to humble you. To humble you, to make you depend on Him. Next, realize that God's promise to you in that grace, in that situation, is that His grace is sufficient. That He will give you the divine enablement, the divine power you need to live in that situation in a way that glorifies Him. And then number four, realize God's plan is to empty you in that adversity so that He might fill you with His power. Now you can be well content in whatever situation you find yourself in because God has promised as you look to Him, you will find the grace you need to live in that situation in a way that honors and glorifies Him. And in your human weakness, His power is going to be perfected in your life. Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our Internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, this is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, and to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what, race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcomed at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org dot org.